We now turn to Lord's Day 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that beginning on page 563 of your Book of Praise. Lord's Day 52. And here we continue to deal with the Lord's Prayer, the final part. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. And now we turn to the Canons of Dort, to chapter 5. You can find that beginning on page 582, the fifth chapter, and we'll read the articles 1 through 5 in connection with Lord's Day 52. Here the doctrine of God's Word is summarized for us as follows. The Perseverance of the Saints, Article 1. The regenerate, not free from indwelling sin. Those whom God, according to his purpose, calls into the fellowship of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and regenerates by his Holy Spirit, he certainly sets free from the dominion and slavery of sin, but not entirely in this life from the flesh and the body of sin. Article 2, Daily Sins of Weakness. Therefore, daily sins of weakness spring up, and defects cling to even the best works of the saints. These are for them a constant reason to humble themselves before God, to flee to the crucified Christ, to put the flesh to death more and more through the spirit of prayer and by the holy exercises of godliness, and to long and strive for the goal of perfection until at last, delivered from this body of death, they reign with the Lamb of God, in heaven. Article 3. God preserves his own. Because of these remnants of indwelling sin and also because of the temptations of the world and of Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful, who mercifully confirms them in the grace once conferred upon them and powerfully preserves them in that grace to the end. Article 4, saints may fall into serious sins. 
Although the power of God whereby he confirms and preserves true believers in grace is so great that it cannot be conquered by the flesh, yet the converted are not always so led and moved by God that they cannot, in certain particular actions, turn aside through their own fault from the guidance of grace and be seduced by and yield to the lusts of the flesh. They must therefore constantly watch and pray that they may not be led into temptation. When they do not watch and pray, they not only can be drawn away by the flesh, the world, and Satan into serious and atrocious sins, but with the righteous permission of God are sometimes actually drawn away. The lamentable fall of David, Peter, and other saints described in Holy Scripture demonstrates this. And finally, Article 5, the effects of such serious sins. By such gross sins, however, they greatly offend God, incur the guilt of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound their consciences, and sometimes for a while lose the sense of God's favor until they return to the right way through sincere repentance and God's fatherly face again shines upon them. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you depend on God from day to day? Do you express this by praying to him as our Father in heaven, laying your needs before him? That's an essential way of showing thankfulness to him. The Lord Jesus made this clear by what we call the Lord's Prayer. This prayer teaches us to maintain an attitude of continual dependence on God. And this is also apparent in the final petition to God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need to depend on God for all our needs. And this includes needing him to preserve us in a relationship with him. When we wholeheartedly rely on our Heavenly Father, there will also be room to praise Him. Think of the closing words of the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We have hope and perspective. We know that our Father in heaven is listening. And knowing God as our Father, we conclude our prayers with a confident Amen. The theme for this afternoon is depend on our Heavenly Father in your struggle against the evil one. And we'll focus on two points. Pray to Him for your deliverance. And secondly, praise Him for your deliverance. Depend on our Heavenly Father in your struggle against the evil one. Pray to him for your deliverance, and secondly, praise him for your deliverance. Brothers and sisters, we are involved in a life and death struggle. The petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, 
reminds us of this. We face powerful enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, meaning our own sinful nature. Think first of the devil. He is God's enemy. And because he hates God, he also hates people created in the image of God. The devil, also called Satan, is the enemy of Christ and the church. Christ speaks of him as a murderer from the beginning, a liar, and the father of lies. Since paradise, Satan has been at work sowing doubts as to the truthfulness of God's word. And this continues to this day. Where the truth of God's word cannot be denied, he tries to discredit God's intentions. In this way, the authority and relevance of many Bible passages are cast into doubt. Satan is a dangerous enemy. Never underestimate his cunning. People get perturbed about nuclear weapons and wars and the threat of a nuclear war. But what about the power of Satan to destroy? His attacks are many-sided. He continues to lead billions of people to their destruction. Countless numbers of people in this world continue to be misled by him. His power will not be eliminated until Christ returns. Our thoughts, our feelings and desires form potential avenues of approach for the devil. His attacks can be very subtle. How might he tempt you? What are your weaknesses? What do you need to be on guard against? The struggle in which we're involved is serious. The devil uses the world as a source of temptation or of oppression. And the world in this context refers to the world of unbelievers. In John 15, the verses 18 to 19, the Lord Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Sometimes the attacks of Satan through the world can be very direct. Think of the persecution of Christians. Much of that is organized or at least tolerated by anti-Christian governments. There are also countries where dictators rule with an iron fist, causing much hardship. Muslim countries continue to oppress and persecute Christians. Communism continues to hold millions in its grip. Think of mainland China, where Christians who don't want to compromise with the government have to gather in secret. Sometimes attacks from the world can be subtle. Temptations are presented as examples of freedom. 
The laws of God, on the other hand, are portrayed as being repressive. And as a result, in our country, there's an increasing anti-Christian sentiment. Many people nowadays refuse to believe in God's existence. We call that atheism. They justify this by appealing to the evolution theory. Scientists have trouble telling you what the weather tomorrow or next week will be. But somehow people still believe them when they talk about how things were millions of years ago. Some people acknowledge the existence of a higher power, but they claim nothing can be known for sure about God if they call him that. This position is agnosticism. God has, however, revealed himself through creation and through his word. Nature displays his power and divinity. Things are too complex and interconnected to maintain that there is no supreme being. God has revealed himself more clearly through his word. He has spoken again and again in human history. The Bible is one long record of promises and their fulfillment. In countless ways, it points us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the only Savior given to mankind. There is an increasing resistance to the authority of God's Word in society. People are no longer willing to accept it as an infallible divine standard for faith and life. And such worldly thinking has also infected many churches around us. People talk about modern theology, and there's really nothing modern about it. It's nothing else than a renewed attack on the trustworthiness of God's Word. And the worldviews of atheists and agnostics can affect us. And more and more, they're using mockery to shame Christians into hiding their faith. And it can tempt us to clam up. Young people can be especially vulnerable to this. Their knowledge of Scripture tends to be more limited. They also have less experience of life in fellowship with the Lord and may feel intimidated by unbelievers. Questions may arise. Are we right when so many people look at things differently? Is it worth the trouble to go to church? Why attend a Canadian Reformed school? Why spend so much money on this? There are public schools too. Brothers and sisters, take such questions seriously when they arise. Respond to them in the light of God's Word. Note that the Catechism also describes our own flesh as an enemy. The enemy against which we have to struggle is not only out there, there's an enemy within us. We have deeply ingrained weaknesses. Sometimes it's something in the genes, a family trait. Sometimes it's related to upbringing. This is not an excuse, but helps to explain where certain weaknesses come from. Personal choices we make can also lead to weaknesses. 
When such choices are repeated, we develop bad habits, and they can be hard to break. Maybe you're doing pretty well in life. You have a good job, you're healthy, and you have few serious cares. In such circumstances, your faith life can become slack. Worldly success and affluence can make us spiritually complacent. Then we're pleased with ourselves and what we perceive as our merits. We become self-satisfied. Self-satisfied people are not very good at praying. Circumstances can make us waver and falter. How do you deal with loneliness? Have you never stumbled spiritually when facing difficulties? Disease can strike us and threaten to stifle our spiritual life. We wonder why God has allowed this to happen to us. The temptation to become bitter can become strong. We don't feel firm ground under our feet anymore, but quicksand. And gradually, we feel ourselves sinking away. Financial struggles can tempt us to become preoccupied with money instead of relying on God. And prosperity, on the other hand, can also be a trap. We can become more and more open to advertisements that convince us of certain needs that are only luxuries. And in the process, we become attached to money and things. Do you honor the Lord by giving to the church and charitable causes? How much have you given in the last year? What percentage of your income does that add up to? Do you give reluctantly? Or are you a cheerful giver? Don't think you are immune to temptations. There should be no room for pride in our lives. We all have weaknesses. So never look down on someone who has given in to certain sins. If you look down on someone, you've already become guilty of pride, which is sin. If we think we are strong, God might humble us by bringing our weaknesses to light. And does this mean God is tempting us? Not at all. In James 1, verse 13, we read, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by, by what? James says, by his own desire. God doesn't tempt people. But he can allow us to become the victim of our own wrong ideas and desires. And this is especially the case when we don't rely on him. Then what would normally be a trial in which we call to God for help becomes a temptation. A situation where God could reveal himself as our helper, it becomes one in which we discover how weak we are, and how strong the devil is. 
The canons of Dort remind us in chapter 5, article 4, that saints may fall into serious sins. If we do not watch and pray, we not only can be drawn away by the flesh, the world, and Satan into serious and atrocious sins, but with the righteous permission of God, are sometimes actually drawn away. Years ago, a couple who were in an adulterous relationship came for a visit. They tried to convince me that because they were in love with each other and love is from God, their relationship with each other must be part of his plan. I asked them, has it occurred to you that your relationship with each other could be a sign of his judgment on your life? When people are unwilling to walk in his ways, it can happen that he will allow them to give in to sinful desires. Temptations can come from different sources, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. They are, as the Catechism puts it, our sworn enemies. The spiritual struggle we're involved in is serious. So watch and pray, beloved. We all need to be on guard against our weaknesses. Pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And by praying in this way, we're acknowledging our own weakness and inclination to give in to temptation. Pray to the Lord not to abandon us to our own weaknesses so that we surrender to the strength of our spiritual enemies. Ask Him to lead us in such a way that we won't yield to temptation. Praying not to be led into temptation, however, includes an obligation. Don't put yourself into a situation where you're easily tempted. For example, if you have a weakness for alcohol, how are you dealing with it? You know it's wrong to get drunk. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11 that drunkards are among those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many times do you have to get drunk to be a drunkard? Once. Really? Yes. Think about it. How often do you have to steal before you can be called a thief? Once. How often do you have to commit adultery to be called an adulterer? Once. Like being a drunkard, these are sins that put people on the road to hell. So if you're tempted to drink too much, watch out who you hang out with. Proverbs 23 verse 20 gives the warning, be not among drunkards. You can find a similar warning in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 where the Apostle Paul writes, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. 
The people you spend time with can influence you. And the result may be disastrous. We read in James 4, verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Make wise choices as to the company you keep. Seek the company of those who will have a positive spiritual influence on you instead of pulling you down. If you don't do that, you're setting yourself up for temptations and sins. Remember that our Savior said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He commands us, abide in me. How do you abide in Jesus Christ? Cultivate your relationship with him. It's not enough to trust in him as Savior. Accept his instruction and take it to heart. If we abide in him, open to his instruction, our lives will be fruitful. Submit to him as Lord. Outside of Jesus Christ, however, we will be like dry branches that are only good for firewood. Our destination will then be hell. Watch and pray. Don't pray and lead us not into temptation while ignoring the means that our Heavenly Father gives to avoid temptation. Avoid whoever and whatever will pull you away from Jesus Christ. Stay close to Him and His Word. When we are on guard, we'll see more and more how necessary this petition is. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Can you think of what tempts you? Do you confess your weaknesses to God in prayer? Do you ask Him for strength to replace bad behavior with good behavior? Prayer is a fundamental expression of love for our Heavenly Father. If you don't pray regularly, don't be surprised if your relationship with Him suffers. Without regular prayer, there will be there will still be a significant gap between us and God. Our relationship with others will suffer too. Where love for God is not strong, we'll put ourselves at risk for temptation. After all, without the strength which God supplies, how will we live? How will we deal with our weaknesses, the pressures of the world, and the attacks of the devil? And when we fall, won't people around us suffer as well? When you pray and lead us not into temptation, remember the love of your heavenly Father. He is willing and able to show you a way out of temptation. His word is full of wise directions. It can protect us if we listen. 
So ask him to enlighten your minds and open your hearts when you read his word. Pray to be obedient, to persevere, especially when it's difficult. If you don't do this, don't be surprised if you fall and even fall hard. Don't blame God for that. Depend on God and your struggle against the evil one. Pray to him for your deliverance. But also remember to praise him for your deliverance. And this is our second point. The Lord's Prayer concludes with words of praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Those words express faith. They show the motivation for what we ask of God. Our Heavenly Father is our King. He is all-powerful. The future belongs to Him. And when we pray, we're not asking for something uncertain. We're calling upon God as our Father in heaven. Praying to him is not a leap in the dark, not knowing where you will end up. We pray on the basis of God's promises. Through Christ, we have fellowship with God. He gives us reason to pray boldly and to praise God with confidence. Our prayers will be answered. We belong to our faithful Savior. Through Him, we may live as children of God. Our petitions are anchored in the present reality of God's grace. But they also include the future. Think of the promise of Jesus Christ given to Nicodemus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Eternal life is a present reality where people live in fellowship with God. That fellowship will never end. It will continue in heavenly glory. And knowing this already gives us reason for thanksgiving and adoration now. In our public profession of faith, we say yes to God's covenant promises. We repeat and confirm our yes as we use the words of the Lord's Prayer. We live in the certainty that our Heavenly Father is faithful and will hear us as we call out to Him. Christ did not teach us a prayer which our Father cannot and will not answer. For this reason, we humbly confess our dependence on our Heavenly Father. And we do this confidently, knowing He won't disappoint us. He is King of all. We can therefore pray and be certain that He will hear us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's the glorious perspective of our prayer. We remember this with thankfulness as we praise him at the end of this prayer. All things are included in his providence. 
And for the sake of Jesus Christ, his love extends to us. With our Heavenly Father as King, can any enemy separate us from his love? And this comfort gives us strength to live. Hold on to it in the week lying ahead of you. You may feel discouraged. The spiritual struggles we go through can be overwhelming. But God is more powerful than any enemy that attacks us. There will be a struggle as long as we live. After all, we are weak, vulnerable, and by nature inclined to sin. But we have the promise of the help of our Heavenly Father. He can and will deliver us from the evil one. Victory is assured. Our Father gives the victory through Jesus Christ, whom he sent to be our Savior. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, verse 8, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Christ had to traverse the distance from Bethlehem to Golgotha in order to do that. His path of suffering was necessary. He came to deliver sinners from sin and guilt and to free them from all the powers of darkness. And for this reason, if we call upon God as our Father, trusting in Christ as our Savior, we can be sure that our Father will hear us. No one can plead with God because of personal worthiness or accomplishments. Draw near to him through Jesus Christ. Ask our Father to hear us. Also confess that what is most important to us is his name, his honor, his praise. Doesn't he have a right to this? Think of the grace he has given us. If we can ask in faith, we can also praise in faith. Make use of the privilege of drawing near to God in prayer. Lay your requests before him. And remember to praise him as well. That's an expression of confidence and joy. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Repeat what our Savior told us to say in prayer. And as we do this, the riches promised to us become ours. Then we will truly have reason to say, Amen. Saying Amen means more than our prayer has ended. Amen is a brief but strong expression of faith in God to whom we have prayed. We affirm that what we have prayed is true and certain. And this confidence is not based on our feelings, but on the word of our Savior. We know for sure our Father will hear and respond to our prayer. Praise him for that. Amen. Let's now sing in response to the ministry of the word. Psalm 5, this stanzas 1, 4, and 5. <laughs> 